Good morning, church family. As Pastor Blake said, uh, John Mark Kersey uh, made his appearance on Monday after Easter, and uh, they were excited. Their prayers were answered that he uh, waited until after Easter, but I assure you they were not as excited as I was that he waited until after Easter to come, because I was on deck. And... Uh, that was the, the, the touch and go. Was, it made me nervous. But, uh, man, we are so excited for their family, and I know you are too. And, um, and just want to say thank you all for being here uh, this morning. As we continue in our study through the book of John, we're going to be in John uh, chapter 3 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up there, John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 27, uh, start in verse 27 this morning, and um, I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, read that for us as we move forward in John chapter 3, starting in verse 27. It says, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he receives, um, what he has seen and heard, Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity that you have given us to give you the praise and glory that you deserve. We are thankful for a, a pastor and leadership who have directed us to study this wonderful word from the book of John. And I pray, God, as, as we dig in this morning that you would speak through me, God, that it would not be my words, but it would be yours that come from my mouth, Lord. And as John has said, that, that I would in, uh, decrease so that you may increase this morning. And I pray for everyone who hears, including myself, that we would hear this word and apply it appropriately, that the Spirit would work within us, that we may look more like your son, Jesus, as we leave here today. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. So I'm going to be honest with you. Um, if there was a most humble person award, I would win it. I would win it. Um, and here's my proof. Here's my proof. So Sarah and I, we were friends for about uh, three years um, before we got in, uh, started dating. Um, and at the beginning of that friendship, uh, me and my humility, um, knowing that, that I was a pretty good catch, that I was funny, I was good looking, um, Made great, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, made some, Ronnie knows, what's up, baby? Uh, made good grades, which is, that's not true. Uh, that was not one of my characteristics. Um, 
pretty good athlete. You know, I knew all of these things about myself. So I told Sarah when we became friends, I said, listen, you just got to be careful. You got to be careful hanging out with me. The closer you get to me, the, you're probably going to end up falling for me. I'm going to be honest with you. This is a real statement that came out of my mouth. I mean, you can ask her. It was a real conversation that we had. Um, I pray that I'm a little more humble now than I was then. <laughs> I, I hope so, at least. Um, and, and so, <laughs> I'm just reliving that moment. That was ridiculous. I said that. Um, I will say this, though. We are married today, so that's, that's great. Um, but the way that happened, just a little recap, the way that happened is, is I fell for her first. The Lord changed my heart first, um, brought me to humility, and, uh, and then uh, thankfully changed her heart. And, and now we are happily married and go into the Happily Marriage Conference. There's my plug. You should go too. Um, and so it'll be a great weekend next weekend. So make sure if, if you are married or thinking about being married that you should uh, go to that. Okay. There we go, humility oozing out of my pores, right? So uh, we come to the text this morning, and, and we see true humility showcased. Not, not what I just talked about, but actual true humility from John the Baptist, and who is the cousin of Jesus. We're in the book of John, and just to clarify, the book of John, the gospel of John, is written by the apostle, the disciple John, but in this scenario in this text where we're talking about a different John, a John the Baptist, who is the cousin uh, of Jesus. And previously in chapter 3, Jesus has had a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus that uh, Pastor Blake preached on a couple of weeks ago. And, And he's articulating this refreshing and wonderful news that that God doesn't just forgive us of our sins. But because of Jesus' death and resurrection, those who are followers of Christ are made new. We are made new, a new creation through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, we are born again. And we are now citizens of heaven rather than citizens of earth, those who profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who are followers of Christ. So much so that Nicodemus gets a little confused and he literally asks Jesus, can one be born again of their mother's womb? Can a grown man be born again from his mother's womb? And and not really catching exactly what Jesus was saying because Jesus wasn't referring to the physical rebirth. It is a spiritual renewal that, that we are now placed in citizenship in heaven. And what a beautiful thing for those who follow Jesus That it's no longer that that God sees the failures and inconsistencies of those who are his children, but instead he sees the perfection of Jesus. He sees the perfection of Christ who who came to earth and lived a perfect life and died the death that those who follow Jesus should die, deserve to die. And yet he took that punishment for us, bearing the wrath of God. And, And upon confessing this belief that only through Jesus can you and I find this new birth, and salvation from the wrath of God. There's a consistent theme of God's word, and that is that those who make this confession are baptized, and that's where we come to the text today. This is exactly what's happening, exactly where we pick up today, is we have two main characters. We have Jesus and his disciples, and we have John the Baptist and his disciples, and they are both baptizing people, They are both uh, baptizing those who profess to know Jesus and believe that Jesus is the Messiah who has come to save them 
from the sins that, that they have committed and the wrath of God that should be poured on them. And so John the Baptist's disciples come to him in verse 26 in what seems to be somewhat of almost like a whiny attitude, right? And they're saying, Rabbi, the only one, uh, the one that you've been telling us about, the Messiah, he's, he's around. We see him, we hear him teaching, and he's baptizing others too, but, but he's baptizing more than you are. He's baptizing more than you are. And John the Baptist here separates himself from many of us, including what I would think would be my nature. And instead of going, you're right, we need to figure out a way to get more baptisms. We need to figure out a way to, to either beat him or stop him. But John the Baptist expresses, doesn't express bitterness or jealousy. And in verses 27 through 30, he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands uh, and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. As we come to our, our first point in the text that we see, the first thing that we learn is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it brings humility. It brings us to a place of humility, not pride. Because we recognize that it is only through Jesus that Christ has done everything necessary for salvation and we bring nothing to the table. And, and, and how could we be prideful in something that we have nothing to do with? How, how can we bring pride to the table when we've done nothing there to bring us to salvation? It has been Jesus the whole time. And John the Baptist, he knew who Jesus was. He understood his role in the coming Messiah, that he would go before Jesus and proclaim that the Messiah was coming, the one that was prophesied about. He knew his role. He even jumped in his mother's womb when they got near Mary and Jesus, as, as, they were, as Jesus was in Mary's womb. And in verse 29, I, I like this, he, John likens himself to a groomsman or a friend there to celebrate with the groom. John the Baptist clarifies for us all by, by finishing to say Jesus is the one to be celebrating and doing the work because he's the one who does the work of salvation. And the work he is doing completes the joy in you and I. Not that we need the credit or need the credit, but, but in fact, John the Baptist says, let me move out of the way. Let me move out of the way so that Jesus may do the work and God may get the glory for he is the hero of the story. For he is the hero, not, not me. And so me baptizing in this moment, John the Baptist saying me baptizing in this moment is not to take away from the glory of God, but to push us towards Christ-likeness, to push us towards uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And, and what a powerful testimony for John the Baptist to, to step aside and say, it is time for me to decrease so that his glory may increase. And he separates himself even further by saying that in verses 30 and 31, he must increase, but I may uh, decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And like John the Baptist, when you and I understand that salvation has come through Jesus and his work, not through 
church attendance and, and not through being nice people and, and, and not through um, doing or not doing certain things, but it is only through Christ, the only understanding that we can come to, the only place that we can come to is humility. When we truly understand the good news of Jesus, the gospel, the only place that we can come to is humility. And we must give God all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. And how is our humility revealed in our life? It's through our willingness to cherish Jesus above all things and give him our obedience because we know that we have been bought with a price and that price was the blood of Jesus. And you see, our obedience is, is something that we do because we are bought by that price. It is not something that we do to, to earn our place in the presence of Jesus. It is because we have been given, those who are followers of Christ, we've been given that place in the presence of Jesus that we then have that desire to obey in humility. That brings us to our second point of the gospel inspires us to obedience. The gospel inspires us to obedience. And so as we skip down to, to verse 36 of the text this morning, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so there's this separation of the meaning of belief, right? So, so whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but then whoever does not obey the Son does not believe. It's a contrast in thought pairing us that, that those who believe will obey. It's, it's revealing to us that those who believe in Jesus and truly believe the gospel cherish him above all things and, and choose to obey in humility, knowing that, once again, it is not us who have come to this place of salvation, but we have been given this place, this seat, those who follow Christ. We who are followers of Jesus no longer live for ourselves, but for the glory of God, and it is shown through our obedience. He says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Shall not see life. And we've got to be careful here uh, that we don't read this the wrong way. Because there are, there are many false teachings and false doctrines and false ideas about who God is and, and how he interacts with us. And, and one of those is that obedience produces salvation. This is one of the ways that we can read this phrasing is that in our obedience we gain our right to be saved by God. And what that does is that cheapens what Jesus did on the cross. Historically, this is one that I believe, uh, as one who grew up Southern Baptist, that we probably struggle with the most. That, that we have this idea and teaching that don't cuss, don't smoke, don't drink, and you are a follower of Jesus. But, but it is the reversal of that. It is because of what Jesus has done for us that then we then pursue holiness. We then pursue Christ-likeness because of the sacrifice made on the cross because we have been bought with a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus. And the second way that we can wrongly read this text, and I believe one of, today is one of the most confusing and damning theologies and heresies that's out there today, is that obedience produces a comfortable life. 
As we read this, that whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, there's almost an equation that if we obey, we will have a comfortable life here on earth. And that is teaching not found in the Gospels at all. This is what we liken to the prosperity gospel that some have heard of before. In our obedience, it teaches that in our obedience, God will grant you your wishes and smooth out the road in front of you. You want a wife and kids? Uh, Obey God and he'll give it to you. You want a better job? Obey God. He'll give it to you. You want a bigger house? Better relationships, more money to pay the bills. Obey God, have more faith, and he will give it to you. And let me assure you, this is a crock. This is a lie. This is not what God promises through the life that he promises. The life that he promises is that he will walk with you, that, the, that his presence will be with you, that you will see Jesus in a more glorifying way because Jesus says, I have come that I may give life and life to the full. And it is through a relationship with Christ that we find life. It is not through a relationship with Christ that he is the genie we've been looking for, gifting us all of these things. That is not who God is. He is much greater than that. And this diminishes, this idea diminishes the almighty God to simply that, a genie. A a merchant in a simple exchange. Give him what he wants and you get what you want. And the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament is much more holy than that is much more great than that. The gospel does not limit God to our human characteristics and mindsets. When when scripture clearly articulates God is he who is more holy than anything that you and I can imagine. He's powerful enough to create uh, ex nihilo out of nothing. He's perfect the creator of all things. And in this, in his grace and mercy, he sent his son to pay the penalty that his people owed for their disobedience. God does not owe us anything. We owe him everything for this great exchange. And our obedience is literally the least that you and I can do for that great of an exchange. So fully committing our lives to the glory of God is is what is minuscule in light of his sacrifice to save his people. But, but even in that, God still promises to give us something greater when we obey, and that is more of himself. That is more of his presence. And he promises to walk through life with us, those who follow Jesus. So we come to the, to the last part of this text. The last point is the gospel saves us from God's wrath. The gospel saves us from God's wrath. Verse 36 says, the wrath of God remains on him, referring to the one who disobeys, the one who does not obey the Lord, the one who has not given his life to follow Jesus, the one who is not saved by the blood of Christ. The wrath of God remains on him. Hebrews 10, 26 through 27 puts it this way. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And we skip down Hebrews 10, a couple of verses it says to uh, verse 30 and 31, for we know him who said vengeance is mine, I will repay. 
And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Referring to those who are not saved by the blood of Jesus, but are relying on their obedience to save them. They're relying on their deeds to save them, their good works to save them. That is impossible. You cannot be saved by the things that you do. Your church attendance cannot save you. Your teaching of Sunday school, of small groups on Sunday mornings cannot save you. It is the blood of Jesus that saves you, and only that. And the crazy thing about the love, grace, and mercy of God, what we deserve, we've earned, all of us, is the wrath of God. He is fully and rightly just to pour out his wrath on all of us. Instead, what he did is he chose to pour that wrath on the shoulders of his son, Jesus, to save those who would believe in him as their Lord and Savior. The only means necessary for salvation from that wrath is Jesus. So how on earth could could we respond to the gospel in any other way but with humility knowing It was Jesus, God's son, God in flesh that died the death we should should have that brings us to repentance and salvation. How could we do anything but repent and obey God fully, committing to him, knowing now it was all Jesus that accomplished what requires, what's required for salvation. And so as we come to a close this morning, Where are you? What is it that God has laid before you today that that you might need to shift or or change to become more like Jesus? And maybe, maybe it's just simply you need to be more committed to his church. Again, not trying to earn that salvation, but because of what Jesus has done by saving you. You are committing fully to, to hold Jesus as more precious and cherish him as more precious than anything else on this earth. And the community of the body of Christ is is the vessel in which God has chosen that we do that together corporately. Or or maybe you need to step up and and be courageous enough to be baptized. That's a scary thing to stand before a bunch of people and proclaim the truth of the gospel that, that Christ has saved you. But it is something that we must all do to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to be there for each other, to walk faithfully with one another, to be more like Christ. Or maybe it is that you need to give your life over to the loving arms of Jesus for the first time. And and let me encourage you that today's the day. Now's the time. We may not have that tomorrow that we think we do. So I'm going to close this in prayer and Um, we're going to continue for the next few moments and give you a moment to respond to the gospel, respond to the challenges of the Lord. And um, one phrase that we use in student ministry sometimes is do work with the Lord this morning. Do work with the Lord. Whatever he is challenging you for, commit to follow him more faithfully. Give more of yourself to him. You can't give enough back to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have encouraged us this morning, reminding us that it is 
you who have done all necessary for salvation. That we bring nothing to the table except our inconsistencies and unfaithfulness, and yet still you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty that we owe, that we may know you fully and we may know you more. And God, I pray for anyone here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, but your Holy Spirit would reveal to them their sinfulness and your graciousness. That you would reveal to them through your Holy Spirit their need for a Savior and that they would know you as their Lord as well as their Savior. They would commit to follow you, God. And I pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning that have made that profession of faith, that you would reveal to us areas that we can uh, remove or, or press into so that we may become more like your son, Jesus, and we may leave here today looking like him. And we ask all of this in his precious name. Amen.